Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash savagepremium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Is at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more and remember subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week the cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, with the savage premium so go to glow.fm slash savage premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else thank you very much welcome to the michael savage podcast Rebecca Koffler wrote Putin's Playbook, 
She is a Russian-born U.S. intelligence expert who served as a Russian doctrine and strategy specialist in the Defense Intelligence Agency. She's worked with the DIA and the CIA's National Clandestine Service. She doesn't mince words. It's a pleasure to see you again, uh, Rebecca Koffler. My favorite spy. How are you today? Great, great. Thank you. Now, look, you know, there's so many rumors swirling. I don't expect anyone to tell me what's really going to happen or what did happen. But of all the people that I've listened to about Russia, you're the only one I really think who knows what's going on. So my first question was, was the entire insurrection a strange Maskirovka, which, of course, I'm mispronouncing a deceptive charade meant to confuse and distract Russia's enemies. You don't think so, I'll bet. 100%. You just nailed it, Dr. Savage, and you even pronounced it perfectly, Maskirovka. In in the U.S. intelligence parlance, it's called false flag operation Mm. in Russia. As you said, it's Maskirovka, it's deception, and uh, the whole theory that underpins this type of thing, the Maskirovka, is called reflexive control doctrine. And the goal of the doctrine is to drive your adversary to the point of paralysis by feeding them false information until the adversary begins to make decisions that are counter to his interests. It this sounds like Bi- it sounds like Biden with the American people, but we'll do that another time. <laughs> I don't I, I don't want to drag you into my viewpoints. OK, so Shoigu, the defense minister, makes his first public appearance since the uprising. He's not been ousted. He's not been ousted. And uh, the other gentleman, um, the black powder man himself, Prigozhin, is not assassinated, not executed. They're both around. So what is happening? And, and not only that, I'll, I, I'll add a third one here. Uh, in Rostov Don, when uh, Prigozhin was supposedly uh, beginning his march for justice, just about 24 hours ago, he was sitting on a bench in front of the military headquarters for the Russian Southern District with none other than the Deputy Defense Minister Yevkurov. And they were bantering, okay? So let me just tell you why and how the entire U.S. and European media just ate up this whole false narrative. Putin is weak. Yeah, all I saw day and night, Putin weak, Putin weakened everywhere I turned. Putin weakened, I knew it was a lie. Because the minute I see it on the media and they're all repeating the same lie, it has to be a lie. Okay, well, let me tell you (laughs) what the Russians, what the real situation is and what the Russians are saying. And then I will explain why it's Putin decided it's in his interest Ah. to to, uh, appear weak. So the Russians (laughs) are now elated that Putin is their dear leader because he was able to chase away, and I quote, chase away the traitors. Putin has saved the motherland. Okay, Putin also has uh, invoked the so-called counterterrorism operation regime, which is a legal regime similar to the martial law. Under that regime, he is allowed to mobilize additional troops. Where he, where he, he, he declared sort of martial law as a result of the insurrection. Correct. Yes. As a result of this uh, fake insurrection. <laughs> fake insurrection. <laughs> right, right. The fake. So now. Going back to the U.S. media, why does he want to appear weak? Yeah. Uh, It's because if Putin is weak, is his military is so incompetent that he can't possibly win in Ukraine Mm. uh, and Putin's regime is about to collapse. Yeah. In the world, the American taxpayer needs to continue flowing cash and top secret military hardware to Ukraine, to to prop up Zelensky regime and to fuel this war. This is what Putin wants uh, to demonstrate to the American people that and his advisors are incompetent or they are lying to the American people because there's a cognitive disconnect, right? On the one hand, we hear uh, Putin is weak. He, He, you know, there's a coup in Russia, there's turmoil. On the other hand, we hear voices from Lindsey Graham and from Biden himself. This man can no longer remain in power because if he is, 
he if he is allowed to march through Ukraine, then he's going to attack a NATO country. Well, which is it? Is he weak uh, and that he can't yeah. possibly secure military victory of Ukraine? Or is he so frightening and strong that he's going to uh, roll over a NATO country, which is going to trigger collective defense Article 5? So this is what Putin is doing. In reality, the outcome of this whole situation, uh, Dr. Savage, is this. So Prigozhin right now is en route to Belarus where supposedly Putin's fellow dictator Lukashenko mm. uh, just gave him safe passage, right, and gave him refuge. Well, Lukashenko just received the biggest gift from Putin that anyone could ever have, tactical nukes. So we have the head of the most vicious and the most um, effective mercenary force in the world. Remember, Prigozhin presides over a very, very um, uh, uh, effective and and uh, very formidable mercenary force that has contracts all over the world. They're all over Africa. They're in Syria. They're everywhere. Why right? are they? Why are they called? The, why? Why are they called the Wagner Group? I, I'll explain. So, so, so I'll explain in a second. But so, what do we have right now? We have Prigozhin. Yeah. And we have tactical nukes yeah. in within striking distance of Kiev, the critical supply routes, and directly threatening NATO, okay, because Belarus is uh, bordering Latvia in Ukraine. So right. that's the outcome of this whole situation. The uh, On the Wagner group, uh, Wagner is Prigozhin's call sign. His favorite composer is the uh, Wagner, is the anti-Semite. Oh. So, so, so that. But the whole well, wait, thing- wait, Wagner, of course, we know that was Hitler's favorite uh, composer exactly. as well. Exactly. Yes, sir. So that's I, I love I, I'm Jewish, but I love Wagner. I'm, I'm not one of those who won't listen to Wagner. I think he was fabulous. And in fact, he stirs me uh, more so than Stravinsky. But let's go <laughs> well, yeah, you know, then and uh, Stravinsky, Tchaikovsky. Remember, Russia has produced all of these amazing, you know, um, uh, composers, right? And this is what Putin wants to demonstrate uh, also is Russia is an exceptional civilization that is under strategic threat from the West. So he just uh, said during his speech, you know, the following uh, Prigozhin's, um, you know, the order to arrest him that supposedly Putin gave, right? He said the entire Western military, economic, and informational machine is targeting Russia for defeat. And of course, the Russians are buying it because they also heard it from from President Biden. Is it true? And from. Is it true? You tell me, is it true? I mean, Lloyd Austin himself said, right, we're going to continue supporting Ukraine until we weaken Russia militarily and economically. Well, that lines up with what Putin is telling his people. But I haven't seen Putin uh, appoint any generals in high heels and lipstick yet, uh, the American way. Exactly, because unlike the Pentagon that is teaching his officers to for, uh, the proper use of pronouns, Russia teaches Sun Tzu to their military officers. And Sun Tzu told us the art of deception, the art of war, rather. Exactly. And know thy enemy. And the Biden administration has no idea who his enemy is. Mm. Uh, And, um, you know, he's spinning out of control right now. He just made a statement that uh, trying to defend um, from Putin, saying, oh, we're not involved in this. Wait, 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 wait. Biden, Biden, Biden just said that? Biden stated, um, no, we're not involved. The U.S. and NATO are not involved in staging this coup, right? Which is uh, which uh, sounds very, very suspicious to the Russians because you couple it with the six billion dollar accounting mistake, right? That is just miraculously yet again in Ukraine's favor, right? Yes. All of this is lining up. And um, so while being viewed by the U.S. media and by the Pentagon and and, uh, Biden as weak, Putin indeed just has strengthened his position. Reflexive control doctrine. Yes. 
Vladimir, Vladimir Lefebvre is the father of this doctor. He was a mathematician mm. and a psychologist. So he came up with an algorithm wow. um, to impact the decision of your opponent. And mm. in order to do that, you have to serve them the information that they are likely to buy. I guess, to swallow up. I, guess I grew up with it in the Bronx. It was called reverse psychology. <laughs> if my father yes. wanted me to go to work with him, he would say, I don't want you to go to work with me today. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So the, the Americans, uh, you know, wanting to see Putin weak and especially the media. And so here he is. He told us how weak he is. In other words, we're getting our money's worth because we weaken Putin. So Biden's a genius. Right, 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 right. But let me tell you another aspect that's very important that nobody has uh, even covering. Um, okay. So if Putin is um, weak, his regime is about to collapse. Remember, Russia presides over the world's most robust, the largest nuclear arsenal, 6,000 plus nuclear warheads. They hold advantage over us. What happens to those nukes? Do you really want social unrest in Russia? You want a rebellion? You want the Russian military not to follow Putin's orders? That is another aspect that is very dangerous here. And Putin is trying to demonstrate to Biden and his team uh, you might just get what you're wishing for. <laughs> you want my collapse? Let's see what happens. And um, mm. and Russia has a preemptive doctrine. It's targeting the U.S. Uh, with non-kinetic means on a daily basis, cyber, uh, for example, that they can ratchet up. And if Russia determines that the U.S. is indeed behind this um, uh, supposed coup, right, it has the right to re retaliate. Oh doesn't God it? in heaven! So, so that is a very multi-dimensional uh, chess that Putin is playing, and unfortunately, uh, no one really in the Biden administration has any clue. They've never heard the name uh, reflexive control doctrine. Um, they don't understand how the guy thinks. All they care is. Putin cannot remain in power. You know, he's a war criminal. And uh, remember, Lindsey Graham was calling on the Russian people. Crazy. To actually no, Lindsey Graham is a certifiable lunatic. He belongs in a mental asylum. He is so dangerous. He is so dangerous. I read a, a rumor that he and Blumenthal are drafting a measure that if there's an you saw that one, that the, the, the big the big one coming up now that then we have a right to strike. Oh, educate me, sir. No one can educate you. I wouldn't even try. Come on. You know things I haven't even thought of yet. Lindsey Graham, it's alleged, it's rumored on the Internet that Lindsey Graham and Blumenthal have put out a draft bill stating that if a nuclear power plant is struck by Russia, then Ukraine has the right. We have the right to go into defend Ukraine with all means necessary. Well, uh, of course, Ukraine is so important to us, right? We we could actually sacrifice uh, New York for Kiev, right? I'm just being facetious. I mean, I these know. people are completely off their rockers. You know, people like uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, like you said, they're dangerous. And uh, I think the best thing right now and the, and the most sensible thing is to de-escalate and to hold this conflict, the Russia-Ukraine war. I agree. That, every single war game that I participated in yes. or led red teams in the intelligence community ended up in a cyber Armageddon, on space Armageddon, on nuclear Armageddon on U.S. homeland. And so this needs to stop. I know you have to run, but I want to conclude with one thing, which is armistice, armistice, armistice immediately. I seem to be one of the very few voices who understand that people are dying. 200,000 Ukrainians. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or 20. How many people died in Russia, Russian troops? We don't know. The country is being decimated of men. The grain will not be harvested because it's not even being planted in Ukraine right now. We're going to have a starvation crisis. The African leaders are smarter than Biden. They see this down the, the road. 
If there were an armistice, which I don't think is possible, what would happen? An immediate armistice. Well, what would happen is uh, Putin will retain the approximately 20% of uh, Ukrainian territory. He's going to retain Crimea and uh, he will likely to seize current combat operations. Okay. That is something that he's aiming to do. But I, the Biden administration is unlikely yeah. to agree to They this. don't want that. And Zelensky, of okay. course, will find a job at Paramount Pictures in Hollywood. Uh, if, exactly. He has already submitted some applications. I'm he sure and him and his team, him, him, him and his team that's running the war could could uh, switch uniforms from the military back to the uh, theatrical or to the uh, whatever you want to call them. And they could do a nice uh, movie for uh, Netflix. Exactly. Until how I until almost start, how I almost started a world war and went on to a great career at Netflix. <laughs> Until then, he's going to fight until the last Ukrainian. It's horrible. Uh, Horrible. Horrible, because Ukraine has ceased to exist as an independent country. We provide the equivalent of the entire GDP. It has industrial base is destroyed. Oh, my it's God. Base, as you said. So uh, they, they have no choice but like keep asking us for money because otherwise that country is non-existent. So I know, this- Rebecca, I could listen to you for, for a very long time. I know you're under such pressure. I worry for you because stress is not good for you. You know, you're not made of uh, <laughs> stainless steel or, or platinum or whatever. Take it easy. <laughs> OK, will do. What's your book? I want to know that people should know the book. I know you're on last time. It was Putin's playbook, correct? Putin's playbook, uh, Russia's secret plan to defeat America. It exposes the whole fake Russia Trump collusion mm-hmm. theory, uh, and which is another, you know, yes. uh, operation that is underpinned by reflexive control. Yes. Um, theory. So uh, at this point, I'd like to say goodbye, Dr. Savage, and um, and I'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Thank you. I'd love to speak with you another time. <laughs> okay, take care. Slow down, slow down, slow down. All right. Yeah. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye now. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This is Savage producer Karen O'Toole. After the interview was recorded, Lieutenant Colonel Davis sent us the following update. In an address to the nation, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that Wagner mercenary fighters who took part in the revolt over the weekend can either join the Russian army or go to Belarus. Reports also indicated that Wagner troops were seen entering Belarus shortly after the time of recording. And now Dr. Savage's interview with Lieutenant Colonel Davis. How are you, Colonel? I'm doing good, Michael. How are you? Disturbed by the world. Well, there's a long list of possibilities for causing that one. <laughs> thank you, Colonel. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to being with us again. Your um, astute observations were well received by my subscribers and listeners. Well, good. And Colonel, I have a question to begin with, which is, you know, you turn the TV on as I'm just doing. Fox News State Department says Putin's leadership being challenged. Is that what's going on? Uh, No, not his leadership per se. Maybe indirectly it is, but certainly not directly. Uh, And it's just that, and and I think where Putin does deserve some some criticism, even among his own followers, is that he allowed this situation to get to the point to where it exploded. Because Mm. Prigozhin has been given, you know, increasingly vitriolic public statements, uh, demonizing his senior leaders. And, and they have laws on the books to prevent that thing. And they've even charged some people under it. But Prigozhin got a complete free chain and, and nothing happened to him in any of those cases. And he just kept feeling more and more free to act until it finally blew up. And I think there's some legitimate criticism for him to say, hey, you know, for his followers to say, why did you take no action until it exploded? Well, that's the question that I'm asking. This is a country Russia is that's more controlled than ours by a few degrees. Uh, although the media seems to be as controlled in Russia as it is here. I mean, right. getting fed the same garbage day and night, Russia losing, Russia losing. Dr. Zhivago, meaning Zelensky, is a hero. 
even though he just declared martial law and suspended all elections because the people themselves want the war to end in Ukraine by the best I could tell. Yeah. So I asked this crazy question, was the entire so-called insurrection a deceptive charade meant to confuse and distract Russia's enemies because, again, I'm an, I'm an, I'm an outside civilian looking in. What happened here is, is it Perogan? I call him Perogan like Perogi, whatever his name, the insurrection leader. How do you pronounce his right. name? Prigozhin. Not Prigozhin, not Perogi. Okay, I don't mean to insult him. He's a dangerous man. But he moves 50,000 men and all of his equipment <laughs> into Belarus, which is now a northern front on Ukraine, 100 miles from Kiev. So now Kiev has to face two fronts, a northern and an eastern. Before, they were only facing the Russians on the east. So now there's a 50,000 man, man army to the north of Dr. Zhivago. Do you think the Russians are getting what, ready for a pincer move? You, you certainly can't eliminate that possibility because, you know, all war is based on deception. And, man, are we getting deception from every quarter in this okay. situation here. Uh, but the, the, art of war, may, the, the art of war. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and certainly the practice of, of this war, uh, it puts it in spades about how deception is involved. Uh, uh, but even if it wasn't intended that way, it could possibly end up that way. But I, I don't think that's how this started. Because uh, uh, Prigozhin was was out outspoken, of course, and wanted to get more support for his troops. But uh, a little remarked upon part of this story in the West is that uh, in in the first part of June, the Ministry of Defense, after after Prigozhin had successfully taken Bakhmut and had moved off into uh, a regeneration and a rest up period off the line mm. is that the Ministry of Defense said, uh, okay, we're going to require you now to all of your people to sign contracts with the Ministry of Defense, not with with Wagner per se. And that would effectively have taken the control of Wagner away from Prigozhin. And he outspokenly said, no, I'm not going to do it. Nine days before this, this event started, Putin came out and said that he supports the MOD in this, that he supports the consolidation under one unified command, because he can't have his his some of his best field commanders and his senior leaders fighting each other while they're still trying to fight the war. So Perogan's uh, a warlord, in essence, who answers to himself. That's that's how it has been. And that I think that's actually the reason why Putin didn't take action earlier, especially in, in February and in May, when Perogan had especially big uh, public flare ups because Nobody, no unit of that size in, in Russia has been more offensively successful than the Wagner group from the beginning. They, they took part in the Mariupol success in, in March and April of 2022. And then Lysychansk, Severodonetsk, Popozna, Solidar, and finally Bakhmut. Nobody else in Russia, in fact, no other unit of that size in the war has had that kind of success. And I don't think Putin wanted to get rid of them. He didn't want to get rid of Prigozhin because he didn't want to lose that combat power. And he tried to find a middle ground. Mm. And he just, I don't, he didn't play it very well. Putin didn't. But also Prigozhin is volatile. And I'm not sure he could have been played well. Well, I, I've been following it like every other observer who's reading this stuff. And so Prigozhin was originally picked by Putin. He's a friend of Putin. He didn't come out of a vacuum. He yeah. wasn't put there uh, out of nowhere. He didn't rise from the ranks, so to speak. He's a bloodthirsty commander, according to what we read. They kill first and ask questions later. It's a it's an old style warfare of absolutely hands off, gloves off, kill everybody. Is that true? Uh, there's certainly some truth to it. Uh, the, but the, the Wagner group has actually conducted themselves in some regards uh, very professionally. And they fought very differently than the Russians do. And they, they have. Uh, given they have treated, uh, for example, Ukrainian prisoners, uh, according to the Geneva Convention, they've actually done a pretty good job on that in, in huh. some cases. But then they've also been rumored to have uh, when some of their troops were executed by the Ukrainian side to say, OK, from this point forward, this is late in the Bakhmut seal. They said, we're not going to take any more prisoners. We're, we're just going to kill everybody. And apparently that's exactly what they did. Colonel, you tired after 21 years of active service. I have to remind people who you are. You were deployed into combat zones four times in your career, beginning with Operation Desert Storm in 91, then to Iraq in 09, Afghanistan twice in 05 and 11. You won the Bronze Star Medal for Valor at the Battle of 73 Easting in 91. 
You awarded a Bronze Star Medal in Afghanistan in 2011. You earned a Master of International Relations from Troy University in 06, and you speak level two German and level one Russian. So I want people to understand you're not just a talking head who's guessing without any degree of education behind it. You have battlefield education, you have academic education, and you have the heart of a warrior. So we now turn to Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu, uh, who apparently is not a military man, just a crony of Putin. Is that correct? That's what it seems to be. Yeah, he's uh, and for all the, you know, Prigozhin went about this, obviously, from their perspective, quite wrong. Uh, but there is a lot of room to to uh, take into issue, uh, contend with Shoigu's ev- uh, leadership of this because he's been in charge. Actually, I think a decade or so before the war even kicked off here. But all, he was the one that was responsible for the disastrous start to this war for the Russian side. And, and again, Putin never took any action against him. He didn't replace him as he did with some lower level commanders. And, uh, you know, I, it won't surprise me that. If later on we find out that uh, Shoigu decides to resign uh, or, or even Putin, you know, in a month or two from now, so it doesn't look like it's yeah. a direct deal, ah. gets rid of him anyway. And I think that many in Russia are ready for that. That's very intriguing. In other words, if Putin really is that smart and in that control, that state of control and is really still playing three level, uh, as I call it, three dimensional chess while the media is playing like backgammon. So he wouldn't get rid of Shoigu the next day or the next week, because then people would say, aha, now I know what happened. He'd wait and disappear him later on is what you're suggesting could happen. Correct. In, in any number of different ways. I mean, you know, this uh, Russia is, is pretty famous for. Oh, people, yeah. Uh, committing suicide by heart attacks, off of a building, polonium, yeah, attack, polonium, polonium uh, herring. A little piece of yeah. polonium herring. Any number of ways. But you know what keeps coming back to me, Colonel, is no one really knows what's next for Russia. No one really knows what Ukraine is really going to do next. Do you have any guesses on this? I, I do have some. Uh, and, and it appears to me that, that Ukraine is going all out right now in their offensive to try to get some kind of meaningful accomplishment on the battlefield prior to the NATO summit on the 10th of July. So what is uh, that? Just barely two weeks from now. Oh, there's a uh, summit coming up. I see. There is a summit. And, and Zelensky has just been in overtime for months trying to get uh, NATO to in any way give a, a, the security guarantee and also a promise for uh, entrance into NATO for, for an issue of an invitation like, he did, like they did with uh, Sweden at, at all. And NATO has been pretty clear that they're not going to do that. They're trying to find other ways. That they but they're not. Go, wait, I, the last I read, they were going to let Ukraine into NATO. They've changed on that. Well, they, they haven't changed from the aspiration that eventually they will. But Zelensky says, I don't want any more. Eventually, I want a date. Of course, I he wants it his way. Yeah. That's who he is. Yeah. He's a maniac. I never and saw so, anything like it. Whatever you give me wants more. Give me the F-16s. I want the F-21s. I got the F-21s. I want an atomic bomb. You gave me the atomic bomb. Good. Not good enough. Give me a hydrogen bomb. Uh, well, I, I mean, part of me understands that. I mean, his country has been intact. And, and so he's <laughs> I this, no, I understand. And he's working I, I the do, West. But, he's working the West like like a piano. Well, and that's where my that's where I ask. I part ways with the understanding. I can understand why he wants to. But what I can't understand is why we basically are co-towing to him as though He's like some kind of rock star and we're afraid to stand against him or something. See, I think that we should be saying a lot of things publicly of support for the country that got invaded. Yes. That got attacked. Whose people are dying. Whose country right. is being ravaged. Yes. But behind the scenes to say, hey, fellas, listen, you don't have the military capacity to drive Russia out without escalating this into a nuclear escalation. We're not going to play with that. So you need to make the best deal that you can. And we'll help you as much as possible. That's what we should be doing to safeguard our national security and end the war. But instead, we seem to be letting Zelensky call the shots and just kind of partially doing what he wants, but even that not all the way. So we really have no strategy, and I think we see the result of that on the battle. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. 
You know, one of my hobbies is watching the History Channel. And last night I was depressingly watching uh, World War One again, probably for the fifth time. And I watched it again and again and again. The millions of men sent to their deaths and the maiming literally for nothing. And, and the suffering of the men, the suffering of the people in these villages, the decimation of the lands that were shelled repeatedly with the high explosives. And I say to myself, has mankind learned nothing from history? How could they let this go on? Where is the call for armistice? Why is there no you know, movement for an armistice, Colonel? I, I, I tell you, there, there are so many analogies between that war and this one. I, I spent a lot of time during my years of service in, in Germany uh, on that battlefield and studying it and walking it. And, and even at the time, I, I remember in, in the 2000s thinking, my goodness, I, I mean, why would they have continued to fight this when tactically on the ground? You can see it was absurd to just keep throwing these waves in this trench warfare. There was other things they could have done, but they just got locked into this mentality. And the war could never be won by military means without wiping out somebody's population. We're doing very similar to that right now, <laughs> unfolding as we speak in right. this offensive by the Ukrainian side, because what they're doing has no military path to victory. Huh. But the, the casualty count is just going by the hundreds and possibly thousands per day huh. on both sides for no reason. And it's just anguishing to me to now see it in real life instead of just studying it in history. Colonel McGregor was on a few months ago, and he said that there were the death toll was over 200,000 Ukrainian men killed over 200,000 Russians. Do you do we have any accurate data or could you give us a guesstimate of how many poor people have been killed? Yeah, the, no one has any good estimate because everybody has incentive to inflate the other side's numbers. Uh, but you just got to look at the fundamentals involved in the firepower advantage on the Russian side, the way the Russians are in, uh, engaging the way the Ukrainians are engaging. And I think probably the 200,000 figure on the Ukraine side is probably pretty close to being right. And it's probably more than that now. Uh, but I think on the Russian side, it, it's much less than that. it might only be 50,000 dead and, and maybe 150,000 wounded uh, and, and somewhere around that. But no matter what the numbers are, they're, they're just tremendous and, and catastrophically bad for Ukraine because they don't have that kind of that, those number of people to lose. They're losing an entire generation. Because not only this, there's another thing that no one's talking about right now. Yeah. There is a huge bubble about to explode at some point for their future in that the number of PTSD sufferers and post-traumatic uh. and brain traumatic brain injury, it's going to be through the roof and it's going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars. And I don't think they're going to have that money. Then the question comes, what is going to happen to their society when you have all these men without being treatment? That is a huge problem that nobody's even paying attention to. And it keeps getting worse every day until we shut this thing down. Well, you also have the agricultural sector. Many of these men are oh, probably yeah. farmers who whose farms are being let to go. Uh, who's going to gather in the wheat and the other grain? When, and right now they're not even planting it because of the, oh. all these, this spot right now along this thousand miles cuts through some of the best heartland that they have. So it's not even being it's not even being cultivated. A lot of this 20, 30 kilometer zone deep of the Russian defense is mined to the hilt. Uh, oh. So they certainly can't get any agricultural equipment out there. So this is a long term economic issue and, and food issue for the not world. just for the region, but for the world. That's but exactly that's why right. the I saw the African nations were demanding a peace settlement a week ago or so. And they're they said they're, they're, they're terrified of a famine in the equivalent of a, of a meaning export famine hitting Africa and them, them having millions of people die because of the grain uh, sh shortage that's coming. We all see this, those of us with a vision. I, I, it's very easy for me to say who's running our State Department, who's running our Defense Department, but the question itself answers the question because apparently they're very short-sighted, ignorant men and women who are not seeing what's actually happening and what will be happening unless they demand that the two sides stop right now, call for an armistice, do anything but get this damn thing over with. I don't understand where the American left went. They used to be anti-war, so I thought, but then I found out what I always knew, which is that the American left was never anti-war. It was anti-America. And so they use the war as as a method to attack this country as being a warmonger, because now what we're doing is fueling the war situation in Russia remains dynamic, says the State Department. Isn't that a brilliant statement? 
it's dynamic. Amazing. How's that for how's that for none speak right out of Orwell? And, and, you know, the problem, the problem that's exacerbated is by a poll that was released this morning that shows that a large percentage of bipartisan Americans believe it's important for Ukraine to win the war because that's what they're led to believe. Uh, it's not important for our security at all. And all these things you just mentioned, this whole list of, of cascading problems, they never get told about that part. Uh, they just see Russia bad, Ukraine good, right. and that's all they see. But if they knew the facts, if they watched your show and saw these cascading problems and how they, they will revert back to harming even our national and food security later, potentially, Absolutely. they would change their minds in a heartbeat. Well, they won't change their minds until I go to the store and there's no bread or there's no spaghetti or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now State Department is urging China to not support Russia. Now, that's another big one. And before we go on to that, Colonel, I'd love your opinion on the China card. I meant to mention this. Someone I know knows some young Russians, young Russian women. Let's put it. Let's leave it at that. And the young Russian women are telling him that there are no Russian men left. In, that there are not too many young Russian eligible men left in Russia, that tens of thousands, if not more, have fled to avoid being drafted to Turkey. And they're living on the streets in Turkey, that the Russian men are homeless in Turkey. Have you heard any of this? I have. Yeah. And, and actually, I've heard even at the official uh, state level in, in Russia, they have acknowledged that that did take place. And I think that the number at the high when they actually in, last fall, when they mobilized and announced the mobilization, uh, upwards of potentially 750,000 had, had fled. And they acknowledged that. But then you also have the other ones that didn't flee. And you're talking hundreds of thousands more of those. So the, the net cumulative loss from the street is quite high from Russia. So that is an issue for them. Well, all the girls, I guess, will move to Miami or Los Angeles and lose, look for an American husband. I mean, I, it's not a joking matter, but this is getting crazier by the day. State Department, I'm reading the headlines on Fox News. Putin's leadership being challenged. That's the official line out of Orwell right now. Putin weak, Putin weakened. I don't believe a word of it, but I don't know if that means that Putin orchestrated this whole game in order to create two fronts and then do a pincer movement on Kiev and really blast them into eternity and take over the country. What do you think is going to happen? Can we guess? Yeah, I, I think that it's fair to say that Putin has been weakened by this because okay. I think his domestic audience, he looks bad because he didn't stop this in time. He didn't take action when he could have prevented it. And mm -hmm. it took Lukashenko, uh, you know, the, the so-called weak sister of their union state to, to mediate and negotiate the end of it. Putin didn't do it directly with with Prigozhin. So he has been weakened a little bit. But everything depends now on what happens next. So if, if Putin now then blunts this offensive and continues to prevent Ukraine from breaking through the three lines of the Russian defenses, and then he takes an offensive force and goes on a counteroffensive in this summer and succeeds, nobody's going to remember any of this. And Putin's <laughs> going to be remembered in his country as being a great hero. If he can't, if he's not able to do anything more than just hold his territory, then I think that into next year, uh, he's going to have even more trouble. And there's going to be some real grumbling as to his leadership. Can we why do we call it the Wagner group? I mean, who is Wagner? Uh, that's just the, the name that they gave to the uh, to the professional military company that Prigozhin uh, uh, started many, many years ago. And, and they're still to this day are operating still in, in Africa in many places but, and but in the is Middle there a, East and Syria. But when you say Wagner Group, was that an oligarch who formed this army? Uh, it, yeah, well, it was, I mean, literally, it was just like a private military company. So some call <laughs> it a mercenary group, but it's just an independent company. But obviously, look, you can't have jets and artilleries and tanks and everything unless the government is actively participating. And so they are. So it's there's not an analog in our force, uh, in our country, uh, it's just the way that they're doing it. And it has had a lot of success, except for the volatile nature of Evgeny Prigozhin. Colonel, does, does the Wagner group on the Prigozhin have tanks and planes? Oh, yeah, they do. They've got all that stuff from they the Ministry do. of Defense. Yeah. Oh, they do from the Ministry of Defense. That, that's okay. the reason why they shot down seven uh, uh, Russian airplanes and, and helicopters, because they had anti-aircraft systems, mobile anti-aircraft systems on those columns that were moving towards. Well, why would they shoot down Russian helicopters? Uh, according to Prigozhin, because they fired on them, which isn't surprising because, you know, what leader of any country is going to allow an armored column to move towards its capital 
and let it come unimpeded. So they tried to, and then actually did uh, attack some of the lead vehicles in one of the convoys, and then they fired back. And so there, the, the thing avoided a catastrophe, but there was some bloodshed on both sides. Well, and that's interesting because I, I'm reading on the Internet, which, of course, is fraudulent on virtually every level, that the official line is Putin could have stopped the column if he wanted to, but he didn't. Therefore, it's all a scam. Well, you just said he tried to stop the column. He did, he did in fact, impede the column with his Air Force, correct? They did at one place. They also had a bunch of, of roadblocks that were built up as it got the closer they got to Moscow. See, I think that the reason why uh, the Russian army didn't attack Wagner when they came into Rostov-on-Don and the reason why they didn't oh, you know, directly attack all these columns moving towards Moscow is because Putin wanted to avoid a completely disastrous situation where you had large scale Russian on Russian bloodshed, oh. which would have been bad for everybody. So I think he was trying to negotiate it. That's why he had Lukashenko involved. He had others involved, Sorobikin, uh, his, his one of his field commanders that Prigozhin respected because he wanted to avoid that. So they were putting off to the last minute to try, you know, before they had to get in big bloodshed. And I think they would have if they had gotten close to the Moscow city limits, uh, but they were able to negotiate a deal before then. So it sounds to me like Prigozhin was looking to overthrow Putin and take over the no, country. No, he, he wasn't looking to overthrow Putin. And he said that emphatically before. He said that again today in, in his recent, his most recently released update is this, this was not against Putin. This was against Gerasimov and against Shoigu, the Minister of Defense and the commander of their armed forces. Those two, He's had a personal issue vendetta with for months, but they're still in power. As we said a few minutes ago, right? He, they weren't decapitated the next second as part of the deal. And so, again, we have to assume by what you said that, uh, again, uh, Putin is playing a long game and he doesn't want the world to see that happen now because they'll forget it when they are suddenly either thrown out of power or, or eliminated, let's say, a month from now, you know, a month from now, may as we a year from now. People will forget that their names even exist. Yeah, uh, that, that's what I think. I mean, and, and again, we don't know all the things that went on behind the scenes, but I think you can say conclusively that Bergosian way overplayed his hand uh, because, look, ah. the fact is he the, those guys, at least nominally, are still in control. He has lost control of, of, of Wagner. So what he tried to prevent, he now lost it completely. He may have even lost the organization itself. It may be dissolved. So he did not get what he wanted. Wait, Bergosian lost it? Right. Yeah. Because he's been banished somewhere. Uh, and so he is no longer operationally in control of. Wagner. But d didn't he move his troops to Belarus? No, he moved, uh, oh. he moved his troops back into Luhansk, all blessed where they came from. Oh, he himself is reported to have gone to Belarus. But even that's unconfirmed. We actually don't know where he's at. Well, he gave a speech today from somewhere. Yeah. Right. And no, that's, the issue. That, that's no an important that's from. an important point for the podcast. He did not move his 50,000 armed men and equipment to Belarus to create a northern no. front. Uh, there, some suggest that that may happen. But right now, they just moved back to their original start points where they were before they started this movement into Rostov, into Moscow. So they're in Luhansk where they were before at the moment. That's an interesting point. I didn't know it again. This is the beautiful part about speaking to an expert such as yourself. So. We cannot expect Wagner to suddenly operate out of Belarus to uh, use the nation as a proxy buffer state. It, it may work out that way. That still may happen. So I don't I don't eliminate that possibility. Uh. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered and raw. Well, now, here's the wildest question of the day, Colonel. Senators Blumenthal and Lindsey Graham. Two of my least favorite people in the world. Apparently, and this is another rumor, drafted a bill that would have you read about this that would require require the U.S. to declare war on Russia if a Ukrainian nuclear power plant is sabotaged. If this is passed, Zelensky would have the power to force the U.S. to join the war by simply sabotaging his own nuclear reactor. Have you heard any of this or is this another? I, I have not. That's just that's just not. It wouldn't surprise me because oh. uh, Lindsey Graham has done many things similar to that. <laughs> he actually did. Uh, but on that point, uh, look, Zelensky has been making a lot of noise about this alleged plot that they've uncovered. And, and look, like any kind of crime or even a, a presumed crime, you have to look at who benefits, who mm. has motive. 
Russia has the least motive and all the losses would happen. They own this, the power plant right now. Their troops are there. All of this territory is what they're trying to, to annex into Russian territory. And there is no reason whatsoever for them to sabotage it because then they would be harming their own people, their mm. own territory, and keeping it basically making it unusable for decades. They're not going to do that. The only person that would benefit would be Ukraine. Mm. Yes, it would cost them their territory too, but because of things like this, it, they would try to draw the whole world into finally joining them in their war against Russia. And so that's why I'm saying, look, if anything happens, we need to be desperately careful not to, to be quick to action and to conclusively identify what happened and who did it. Otherwise, just as you say, we could unwittingly become a very tool of the Ukrainian government to our demise. And we cannot do that. A tool of the Ukrainian. Aren't we already a tool of Zelensky? <laughs> well, the, I mean, media, the, media, that, the media is 100 percent owned by the Zelensky storyline. The only one on Fox who opposed his storyline was Tucker Carlson, who was fired. And people don't people don't agree with me. I think he partly was fired because he went off off script on the party line of opposing the war while Fox is all in on it. So I think we're already in the pocket of Zelensky. And then there are all the rumors about I don't want to go into it because I'll drag you into the conspiracy theories that maybe I'm reading too much on the Internet of the, you know, the Joe Biden's family money in Ukraine. We've all seen those rumors uh, and Zelensky owns them because he has, uh, you know, I don't know if any of that's true. But why shouldn't we think that there's a corrupt element in our government at the highest levels that is somehow dragged, has been dragged into this horrible repeat of World War One against uh, the best interests of America for their own self-interest? Well, I, I certainly hope that's not the case. I mean, you can't nothing without knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes. We can't eliminate any possibility. We also <laughs> can't eliminate the possibility of just People don't know what they're doing in positions ah. of power. They don't think things through. Ah. Uh, although I will say for Fox's benefit, uh, uh, on the positive side, I, I've actually been uh, brought on seven times in the last uh, 36 hours. Ah. Uh, so they are giving air to this viewpoint because I'm saying basically the same things there as say here. So oh, good. at least it's not all the way in on, uh, you know, on pro-war for the Ukraine. Side. Right. So, well, I, so, I they're, so they're changing a little bit at Fox. Since they got rid of Tucker, they realized there was money to be made in the truth. And so, so they're, they're spreading the truth out amongst their other uh, uh, talking heads. That's interesting to know. Good to know. Colonel, what kind of tanks did you did you uh, drive or command in, in Iraq? I, I was in, in Iraq. I was actually an, an artillery officer in a, in a fire support vehicle, an armored fire support vehicle that was uh, embedded with the M1A1 and Bradley fighting vehicle uh, squadron, cavalry squadron, which was second in command of uh, Doug McGregor there. He actually led it in, in combat oh. there. I, was, I fought under him in Amazing. that time. And then uh, in the mid-2000s, I was the second in command of my own armored cavalry squadron under the 1st Armored Division in Germany, uh, also with Bradley's and uh, M1 tanks. I saw two weeks ago that we had sent Bradley's to uh, Zelensky, and they were all incinerated on the front lines the minute they, they entered. Is that true? It, it is completely true. And, and as I, I argued from the day that we even announced we were going to do that, I said, look, these the, the, too many people think that the presence of NATO gear equals NATO military capacity. And I said, it's never been about the, the equipment, uh, a little bit about technology, but 90 percent about the training and the men and the army, and the debt and the doctrine that go behind it. And you can't just put that onto a, a, an organization that's only fought defensive and in the Soviet system and then expect in a few months to get a NATO capability out of it. And we're seeing that on the battlefield. There's a piece out, and I believe it's this morning's Wall Street Journal, maybe it was yesterday, mm. where they, they looked at they said, hmm, so far, all the units that were trained by NATO and equipped by NATO have performed less effectively in this offensive than the Soviet group that was trained in a historical way with their own equipment. And that's not surprising because their mentality is the Soviet. So they're going to be better with their own stuff than trying to foist on this new stuff here that they've just gotten while under fire. And so that doesn't surprise me in the least. And if they keep doing this stuff, uh, they're going to lose the challengers and the, the striker vehicles and the, the, the Abrams whenever they get onto the battlefield. That won't change. You think we'll, they, they will lose Abrams tanks if they don't learn how to use 
their brains. Well, they're hundred percent sure they will be because there's there's nothing magic about an Abrams tank. The, <laughs> okay. the thing that has given us the brilliant success we had in Desert Storm and in, in two thousand three, the uh, offensive portion of the uh, Iraq War was because we are well-trained and we are staffed with people that, with 5, 10, 15, 20 years of experience mm. at their various levels. They have a mentality of a whole career of behind these things. They know how to do it. Ukraine has none of those advantages. And just having M1 tanks, while it's a great piece of kit, if it's not used in a combined arms offense that has air superiority or air power and air defense, it's just not going to be successful in the battlefield like it would be if we were fighting. I don't want to go into details that maybe you don't want to release, but if an Abrams is hit with a what, will it explode? What would it take? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's very powerful from a from a 125 millimeter main gun of, of okay. virtually every every uh, Russian or Soviet tank, uh, but it's vulnerable on some of the flanks. It's definitely in the back, but uh, any tank guided missiles, artillery strikes, uh, you know, the suicide drones, especially coming in from the top, it's, oh. it's vulnerable like any other tank. It's good, Suici but it's not invulnerable. Suicide drones coming in from the top. What are those? Yeah, that, there's there's a, I mean, a number of them on the battlefield today on both sides. And uh. that's one of the big vulnerabilities for every armored vehicle. So that, that's the what, armor is not as strong on the top. That's what the Ukrainians use to decimate the Russian tank column, isn't it? Uh, they did in the beginning, but now then, because of electronic warfare and, and a lot of more time, Russia has figured out how to uh, deceive most of those. And that's why you haven't seen many in this offensive right. from the Ukrainian side. You see a bunch from the Russian side because they have figured out how to minim mitigate the uh, electronic warfare capacity of the Ukraine. But the Ukraine has not yet figured out how to mm. block the Russian side. So there's a big imbalance at the moment on the Russian side, but that could shift at any time if they figure it out. But they haven't yet. Do you think Russia is tired of the war and they want they want this over with? I, I'm 100 percent sure that they're tired of it. But the, the issue, especially among the rank and file people, as well as the troops, is that they really believe what Putin preaches, you know, on a routine basis, that this war was foisted on them mm. uh, back in 2014, not in 2022. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that it's the world against them. And of course, in many respects, that's accurate. The McCain, the McCain, the, the, the McCain Newland uh, uh, revolution, the Orange Revolution. That's where they believe that's where they view that the war started, not in not in 2022. And they say that the West started. That's what they mean when they say that. Uh, but they see, you know, economically, we're trying to destroy them. Uh, they're they're obviously they're they're military with all the weapons, intelligence, everything else. So they view this as, as us against the world. And so they they're tired of the war. They want it over. But they feel like it's an existential threat that they have to win. And Russia is famous for being able to suffer a long time. And if they feel that their country is threatened, they're going to continue to fight whether they want to or not. Well, that's the older generation. I mean, let's be real. The, the older guys know what suffering is. We're talking men who you know, we're in wars, but there's a whole younger generation of TikTokers in Russia, just like there are here who don't want war. Right. I mean, they just they want to have fun. <laughs> they just want to party uh, on. They, they do. It's not quite. And, and that's actually a, a point of contention in within the Russian society where they've been talking about that. But but I can just tell you from personal observation, I went to Russia several times uh, in the in the earlier mid 2000s and and it's not as progressed as it is here i mean they're they're starting but they're you know if we were right here they're they're a decade or two behind us so it's not quite as bad and even the middle generation uh people in their 40s and 50s still have suffered a lot under the under communism uh so the ability to to suffer uh, is more ingrained in their dna than it is in ours so I have to assume there are no generals wearing high heels and lipstick in Russia, in the Russian military. There, there are not. No, no they're they're quite opposed to that. Well, that's, they're really that's another one of the things that they feel that this is actually they're way, they're way behind us. I mean, they really are. They're very primitive in their views. After all, those are the most important attributes is how you look in the uniform, not how uh, you lead men into combat, at least in America, that is. So, Colonel, any final thoughts? I know you're probably going to be on Fox News. They're on right now. I'm watching the screen. I keep turning away. You'll have to forgive me. I'm watching John Kirby, the skilled liar. I, I can't stand these people. They get me sick. Every word that comes out of their mouth is disingenuous. There's not an honest word coming out of them. They don't know what they're talking about. And if they do, they wouldn't say it anyway. So what's the point of these press conferences? I don't know. Uh, final thoughts for my brilliant listeners. Yeah, look, it's, it's the worry, the biggest worry I have for Ukraine 
is that Zelensky will continue to try to press and say, look, I'm just going to capture anything. I'll, I'm going to make a big push here. And again, he could literally do this within the next 12 to 24 hours to start it and have a big push where they try to capture some kind of meaningful city, which they have not done so far ahead of that NATO summit so that they can try to say, you know, give us security guarantees. But the problem is that the, uh, no, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get the security guarantees. But if he loses too many more men on this, they become vulnerable to a serious Russian counterattack, uh, which could come this summer. It, uh, no guarantees it will. But that's the existential threat to Zelensky is playing with this risk that he could undermine his chance to defend later. And they may lose even more territory than what they have now. Now, you know, when we started this discussion, you talked about being in Germany and walking on the, the fields, the, the fields of blood to call them, you know, in Flanders. Are you talking about in Germany, Belgium? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically about uh, you know, near the Flanders, not, not far from that. OK, so millions of men were decimated by by unimaginable weaponry. I mean, cannons the size of this room with buckshot in them, ball bearings or whatever, which chop people to pieces. Then uh, the war ended. We know about the poppies, the red poppies that grew in the field. The suffering. I don't understand how mankind hasn't learned anything from all the suffering. I don't understand it. I can't. Yeah, it. You know, the, you talk about TikTok generation. That's part of the big problem here is that everybody just like Lindsey Graham and his you know, infamous statement uh, about two weeks ago where he says, yeah, all these Russians that are dying, it's the best money we've ever spent, oh. you know, that kind of thing, oh, because he has no concept of the suffering that's involved with that, uh, because it's just a video. It's just a, a, a soundbite for him, as it is for most people here. They just want Russia bad, Ukraine good, and that's, that's as far as they want to get into it. But until they are the ones who suffer from this stuff, like the people in Ukraine, like the people in Russia, they are tired of this. But the, all the people in power are oblivious to it until that happens, the, the, the destruction will continue. Okay. So my last, last question, let's say an armistice is eventually called. If an armistice were, were imposed upon the two warring factions today, could it be imposed on them by the world? Uh, it's, it's very possible. It, it could definitely be imposed on the, on the Zelensky side. They, we don't have any influence over the Russian okay. side at all. We could have some influence, but we don't have any power. We have power over the Zelensky side by just saying, hey, hey, dude, look, we're privately giving you four, six months to continue on this. And then we will stop the, the, the shells. We will stop giving this other stuff. And so if you want to keep going and we can't stop you, but you'll do it on your own. And without bullets, they can't continue the fight. So we do have leverage. But our ammo supplies themselves are being depleted, aren't they? Well, they have been, but we've also started many uh, long-term uh, contracts to continue to upgrade that and even get more in eventually than we had. So those will be replaced, but that, that's not the point. The point is that we can't just say, because of these contracts, we're going to indefinitely give them to Ukraine because that'll just indefinitely. But who, who, kill who's us. making these artillery shells for us? Uh, it's, it's a combination of a number of different uh, European countries and, of course, the United States and our military industrial complex. Well, they're making out like bandits, obviously, and they love they them. Are. And there's there's no end to the greed when it comes to contracts. We all know that even us, we civilians. But what is the igniting pow powder? What is the ignition? Not the ignition. What is the explosive in an artillery shell made of made from? Uh, basically, black powder. Uh, ah. you, you have a primer that meant to go off, but then you have this really highly concentrated, something analogous to black powder, which has different charges. You can actually put different amounts of, of gunpowder in the, in the shell propellant. But then once it's inside that shell, it's depending on what it is, because there's many different shells, but it's basically black powder inside the metal shell. But isn't there a limit? Isn't there a limit to gunpowder in the world? Uh, no, not gunpowder. I mean, we can, you can make that all day long. There's, there's issues on technical and, and uh. black uh, chips and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are limiting factors in drones and whatnot. But there's, we can make shells, artillery shells all day long. I didn't know that. I thought perhaps natural resources would be limited. If an armistice were to be called a week from today and, and they have to stop where they are on both sides, Russia would come out with, with a portion of the Ukrainian land? Yeah, they, they would they would solidify their certainty to keep Crimea uh, but then, at least according to where the lines are right now, if, if in your scenario where they 
you know, the Ukraine didn't push any further and Russia didn't push any further. They'll have portions of four uh, regions, oblasts uh, that were Ukraine that would be eventually absorbed uh, publicly into Russia. They've already illegally annexed them. Uh, mm. So in their minds, it's already Russian territory, but mm. uh, only parts of the old oblast. They don't have all of all four of them. They just have a good chunk of it. Well, let's hope there's an armistice in the near future. I'm, I'm not optimistic there will be. I think the world is idiotic, bloodthirsty, greedy. I, I think the only way we're going to get there is that when the, the one side is bled white enough that they can't continue on, because I don't see any evidence that Zelensky is going to be moved by the suffering they have because he is obsessed with wanting everything back. And if he can't have everything, he may end up losing even more but his but people even, he's they want to negotiate a few months ago he said on to moscow we're going to take moscow i heard one of the lunatics say that one of his people that they're like living in a fantasy world that they think it, it sounds like theater to them yeah that, i mean he was obviously he was just popping off on that part but they are very adamant that they want everything back from Zelensky on down the 1991 borders that's never going to happen so the longer you press for something that's not realistic all you're doing is condemning more people to death. And that's why I say there's Ugh. not any prospect in the near term for this thing to go to even a ceasefire, much less an armistice. But I pray to God that day comes soon. But as we speak, fighting is going on, correct? So far as oh, we yeah. know. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big right time. Now, right now, they're killing each right other. Right now. Yeah. Where? In, 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 uh, in All along, this, this, there's the five main areas within this, this whole uh, thousand kilometer front uh, in Ukraine. Because Ukraine, since the 5th of June, has been on their long promised counteroffensive. And now yeah. then a lot of evidence is showing that they've got in, in two and possibly three different uh, axes, large formations forming on the backside where they're going to send another wave in. So you may see a big spike in fighting in the next uh, one to two days. Ah, well, Colonel, I want to thank you again for your brilliant analysis. And uh, I think I've learned a lot that the insurrection was not a deceptive charade meant to confuse and distract Russia's enemies. Can we agree on that? Was not. I think so. Yeah. Okay. It was conducted by Putin and Prigozhin and Prigozhin did try to take Russia, (laughs) did try. I don't know that he ever tried to take Russia. Let me me specify. He tried to force Putin's hand on Gerasimov and Shoigu, but he never even had the combat power to actually, Ah. you know, turn the government upside down. So I don't think that was even subjective. And he said as much today. And uh, during uh, the putsch itself. Oof. Sitting here watching the world go around. Thank you, Colonel. Always a pleasure. Hope you'll join us again real soon. And I look forward to seeing you on Fox News. <laughs> I'll probably All learn right. something more this afternoon. Thank you very much again. Always my pleasure. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.